Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to Talk ADHD. So it is now episode seven. And given we're only seven episodes in, we're actually revisiting a topic that we've already covered to a degree um, in the podcast. We are back to the topic of relationships. And the reason for that is because that's what people have asked for. Now, the difference this episode is we are really digging into the romantic relationships, the, shall we say, the not parent-child particularly, but the the grown-up marriages, boyfriend-girlfriend kind of things, which is why we have two guests with us today. And I'm going to tell you who they are. So first of all, Andrew, how are you? Are you okay? Are you ready for this? Because it's a 50-50 today with two of us and two ladies. So I'm looking forward to it. We're all right with that. Really looking forward to it, Okay, excellent. So first of all, uh, you can see Catherine. Now, Catherine is my wife. And the reason we've got my wife on is, well, for obvious reasons. We're talking about romantic relationships. We've been together for 31 years. And... As anyone that listens to the podcast knows, I've put Catherine through quite a lot of stuff. So Catherine's here to give her take and and her views on some of the things I say, which often uh, are really, really important for me to to take on board more than ever. However, in covering this topic, we really wanted to bring in someone with the knowledge, the expertise and the reputation for taking on this topic and and doing the real work. Now, that's not me. That's not Andrew. But it certainly is our fabulous guest. So I am incredibly excited that um, the second podcast of the year is Melissa Orlov, who is a world-respected, renowned author and speaker um, on the topic of ADHD and relationships. And I think it would be only right and proper, Melissa, Thank you for joining us. I know you're uh, you're over there in Arizona, but can you give us a bit of a who are you, why are you, and, and how did you come to, to be in this line of work? Well, thank you. And <clears throat> absolutely, thanks, Matt and Andrew. Um, I started in this work in uh, 2007, actually, um, because I was in a relationship with a marriage, a long-term standing marriage with a person who had ADHD. I do not. Uh, but I was learning so much and I thought, oh, you know, people need to know about this. And a very long story, very short, I got into working in it and so many people were interested that I took it up as a, as a career. So I now, uh, do speak all over the world and I also, uh, give seminars for couples and I, I have written two award-winning books plus part of a therapist training handbook and I teach therapists how to do this. And so I am pretty much into all aspects of uh, how ADHD impacts uh, relationships, both when one partner has ADHD and when both partners have uh, ADHD. So I'm delighted to be here to talk to you about this. This is a really important topic and I'm glad you guys are doing it. Well, thank you. And yeah, Andrew, anything you want to add at this point about why this is so important? Because like we say, on our WhatsApp community, it's still probably the most asked question, discussed topic. So any thoughts on that from your point of view? I think that I have to confess something. And so that's when we touched on um, relationships previously. I tried to shy away from this topic and, and um, ease things for me with um, focusing on, on what relationships are. And, and um, that kind of diluted things down a bit, I think. So I'm looking forward to 
bravely stepping up and, and doing what I shied away from. <laughs> no shying at all. It was a wonderful episode. Um, and Catherine, I'm just going to touch on this. So, uh, Melissa, I don't know if I mentioned this in emails. Catherine, when did you download the book? Was it just after no, my diagnosis? No, no, before. Way before you were diagnosed. Oh, was yeah. it before? Yeah. Um, it had a right. very, very profound effect on me. Um, I got maybe half of the way through and I was crying every time I read it. Um, I um, was... I I can't remember the year that I... Um, oh, gosh... I read it, but um, yeah, huge, huge effect. Um, the the parent-child sort of relationship, the adult and child relationship. I was reading that, and um, that had um, that resonated with me because so many, so many people had told me that I enjoyed mothering Matthew, and um, it had annoyed me slightly. So to be to it was basically um, like having a mirror held up to the relationship when I read um, the, AD, um, the ADHD effect on marriage. Um, yeah, I actually found reading it very, very difficult because of that. But I was very, very grateful that I did. I get emails from people regularly. It, it, people tell me I, I make them cry all the time. And, and it's, cry, it's, it's, it's both grief at I wish I had known about this 10 years earlier and also joy, which is, wow, now I finally understand that these patterns are so recognizable. Now I finally understand. And so that folks are listening, we're not talking, when we talk about parent child dynamics, we're not talking about an actual child. Mm-hmm. We're talking about one, one spouse in a parental or managerial role and the other spouse in a childlike, uh, less functional role. And it happens in um, virtually all relationships impacted by ADHD where one, where, where couples are struggling. So yeah yeah absolutely so let's let's start this from jumping on from there then um so when you started in this world 2007 and you at the time then i presume you know you were learning about adhd or adhd as it was probably still referred to then and and, and what that means in terms of your own relationship in others I guess the first question that came to my mind was how quickly did you start to see lots of similarities, lots of the same things being said and the same challenges from people you were talking to and and starting to work with? Yeah. So actually not fast enough, actually. Um, So I I started in the work before 2007. I was working with uh, Dr. Ned Hallowell and Dr. John Rady, who are two of the top ADHD doctors in the U.S. They're Mm -hmm. They both were at the time teaching at the Harvard Medical School, and they had they were they wrote "Driven to Distraction," and they've written a lot of books about ADHD. <clears throat> and they were giving a professional training, online professional training course. Um, uh, uh, several of them. The the mother of them all was a twenty two week everything you need to know about adult ADHD for professionals. And there was nothing else like it. So I was moderating that and I was taking it. So I got this very in-depth professional level background on what was going on. And yet it still took us some time to figure out, oh, wait, this applies to us. Nobody had been talking about how ADHD in adults was impacting relationships. So 
it took, uh, even with that background, it took a while. So it's not surprising that uh, people don't recognize it right away. Um, you know, even I, who was doing this training, uh, didn't recognize it uh, for a while. Finally, I said to my daughter, uh, my daughter has ADHD because it's so uh, heritable often. Mm. That's how people find out about it. I finally said to her doctor, is there any chance that my partner has this? And she's like, well, yeah, of course. I like, oh, why didn't anybody tell me? So uh, anyway, that's how I got into it was say, thinking, wow, if I, with all of this background, still didn't connect the dots, there are an awful lot of people out there who need this information. And so I just started it as a blog, sort of going like, well, I'll get some information out there in the world and, and maybe I'll help a few people. And then there was so much interest in it, it just literally took off. And um, so my first book, The ADHD Effect on Marriage, Catherine, that you read, I wrote that book because there, within a year, there were thousands of pages on this website of people think people checking in and stuff. And I wanted to organize the information so that people yeah. could engage with it better. So okay. that was actually why I, I wrote that book. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a life changing topic for people. It's been such a joy to be working in this field. And it's huge and funny. It kind of echoes your, your story about your own, knowledge of ADHD as well, Andrew, in that, you know, how long were you working in the profession, diagnosing people on a daily basis? And then went, what, me? Yeah, eight eight no. years. <laughs> there, there are themes, aren't there? Um, and, yeah. and, and lots of, lots of well, tears. People, you know, it makes sense, though, because the things that come with ADHD, distractibility, um, difficulty planning, um, feeling overwhelmed, sometimes emotional dysregulation, those kinds of things, Everybody has those. It's just not not to the degree to which people with ADHD have those things. And so they seem familiar. And yet when they're in the ADHD combination where you're really out at one extreme on those specific kinds of things, it has really uh, very significant impact. The research is really clear uh, that uh, adult ADHD um, impacts virtually all aspects of the lives of the people who have it. And so um, it, it's uh, bringing that to somebody's attention is like uh, unlocking a key. Uh, Catherine was saying, wow, it's, you know, it's just like you knew everything that was going on. It's because the patterns are really predictable, right? The, the symptoms are set. Like if you have ADHD, you have very specific symptoms. And so if you have ADHD in your relationship, you have both the very specific symptoms and also the normal human responses to those symptoms. And that's what creates these patterns. So they're really predictable. You know, people right. ask me all the time, were you, were you sitting in our living room? How do you know all this stuff? It's because the symptoms are defined and the responses are human nature type responses. So yeah. uh, it's, and so once you find this and you go, oh, wait, okay, I'm also in that boat, then you can use the strategies to interfere with the responses uh, in a more, if you want to call it learned or nuanced or um, appropriate uh, way. Now, just going on from that then, because those responses are so similar, the behaviors, the, the presentations, do you often find when you, when you work with people directly rather than you know, reading books or things that they say to you, but we've tried so many other things. And dare I say, it's sort of traditional or non-ADHD specific. 
approaches to repairing or healing or, or coping in marriages and, and just constantly go, this doesn't, why didn't that work? Well, I mean, <clears throat> the short answer for why it didn't work is that when you have ADHD, your brain works very differently from when you don't. So neurotypical strategies are not often useful. A neurotypical strategy is also often around the idea of just try harder. And it isn't about just trying harder when you have ADHD. You can do that for two or three weeks. But what you have to do actually is create these, what I think of as external structures uh, to be able to organize your life in a way that brings things into the moment at the right time, that provides good reminder systems, that works with how your brain works. Um, and it's so it's not about trying harder. It's about trying differently in ways that work for people who have ADHD. And so if, if you're with a professional who doesn't understand ADHD or doesn't know that you have it, they'll give you the try harder strategies that work for everybody else. And but they don't give you the try differently strategies. So it's really important if you have ADHD to be with somebody who understands ADHD <laughs> so that they can talk to you about how to uh, structure your life in a way. And, and, and also for your partner, <clears throat> your partner needs to know, hey, wait, that particular behavior does not mean that my partner doesn't care about me or whatever. That behavior is a symptom of ADHD and we need to treat it like that rather than taking it personally. So actually you, you, you just using that sentence about the partners understanding that you mentioned something just before we recorded about the most common thing that was said to you about why does, why is oh, not hard, yeah. yeah. Well, it's not, it's no longer the most common thing that was said but, to me. I was saying that when I first started my website, one, one of the most common search terms that was people used that they ended up at my site on was why does my partner hate me? <laughs> I just, when I saw that, I was like, oh, you know, I that's so horrible. But on the other hand, it gives you an idea of, of how important this top, these, these interactions like are and, and some of the it outcome of them. Sorry, I, it Say it again, Catherine. Like Very much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what was your experience with it, Catherine? Um, I felt very alone a lot of the time. Very alone. Um, uh, Sidelined sidelined um i remember reading in your book and i think the first thing that really kind of grabbed me was um <clears throat> the um when you're the new thing so early on in the relationship obviously i was the new thing very very exciting and you know spent all the time together and it was fantastic and then all of a sudden you're not the shiny new thing and that's a really really difficult thing to come to terms with um and that's that was my experience um yeah, sort of um, if, if we were out and about in friendships, Matthew, Life and the Soul, I was on the side. Um, uh, uh, participation in the house, trying to sort of live with a hurricane. I was the, yeah, I, oh gosh, I sound like such a, a whinge, but yes, the woman who did for him. I picked up after him. Um, yes. When we had children and, and, you know, we had children and he got himself a new camera. So I would be running around after two toddlers with autism and ADHD. And he would be taking photos of quite literally anything and everything. Um, it, 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 you know, lonely. It wasn't so much why does my partner hate me? It was why am I doing this all myself? So, yeah. 
Yeah. So there's so many things. Can I talk yeah, to yeah, that yeah, for a little bit, uh, Matt? Yeah, yeah, please. I just want okay. to point out at this point, Catherine mentioned the camera. None of those photos exist because they were all saved on a remote hard drive that crashed and we could never recover them. And they were the baby photos. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just to add an extra layer of, I was so obsessed and yet, Maybe, you know, attention to detail and planning, you know? So, yeah. 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 A, a classic kind of a story. Um, so, so you talked about a couple things that I actually want to, Matt, you talked earlier about putting some science to stuff. So hmm. uh, the, the courtship where you're talking about being the shiny new thing, Catherine um, has a name actually uh hyper-focused courtship. And uh, what's going on there is that ADHD is about um, a difference, among other things, about a difference in the neurochemistry of the brain. And so people who have ADHD have low levels of dopamine. And it so happens that people who, uh, who are infatuated, anybody in the planet who is infatuated gets a couple of years biologically of extra dopamine. And so, and then that wears off um, in 97% of the population. So uh, everybody gets this. The difference is that when you have ADHD, you get that extra dopamine, you become hyper-focused because you have all this extra stuff flowing in your body. And so the courtship phase is amazing when you're with somebody who's ADHD. You are like the sun, the moon, the stars. I mean, it is phenomenal. But then you get to that, okay, the, the, the infatuation dopamine wears off and you go back to the um, normal state, which if you don't have ADHD is regular attention or not, whatever is appropriate type of attention. If you do have ADHD, it's a low attention state. So it's a huge transition for the partner who thought that, oh my God, I'm with this person who thinks I walk on water and isn't this amazing. And then all of a sudden it's, you're just going, wait, what happened? Where is the person I thought I was with? And the, the hyper-focus is usually so great that um, lots of times people are married by then. Uh, they, they, they're like, this is it. I, you know, this is, my, this is my soulmate or whatever the languages that you use. So, so that was what was going on there. It's a really confusing time for the other partner. They just have no idea what hit them. But what hit them is that ADHD, the number one symptom of adult ADHD is actually distractibility. And it's chronic distractibility. And it's the... Or the hyper-focus, like you were hyper-focusing with your camera, Matt, right? Mm -hmm. That was like, I'm really into this. It's not mm -hmm. attention deficit. It's attention dysregulation, Yeah. right? So you're really focused in on something because it's really interesting, like your partner or your camera yeah. and, or your whatever. Or you're just like stuff is coming at you in an unfiltered way. And for yeah. the partner, that leads to a lot of loneliness because you're one of lots of input that's coming into that brain. And that's not what you thought you were getting. And, uh, and that combined with difficulties planning and staying um, engaged with things that aren't, I mean, think of what's boring, right? Changing a diaper and helping a baby that's crying. It's boring and not very rewarding. And, and if you have a low dopamine state brain, you're looking for things that feel rewarding. That's what you're naturally drawn to. Um, and so, uh, so you're, you're describing some of those things I was talking about, which were the classic, you have the symptoms of ADHD and you have these, the symptoms exist. And then the human responses to those symptoms. If your partner is 
chronically distracted and you are sort of in there with the dog and the shrubbery and the babies and behind the camera, you know, like <laughs> lower than the camera, uh, it feels really lonely. And that's just yeah. a human response to that. That's a very, very typical description of the beginning, like the first few years of a adult relationship where one or more mm -hmm. people has ADHD. You know, it's really interesting here because one of the questions we've been saying is, is somebody asking, how do you make someone fully comprehend what the lived ADHD experience is like? Because my wife says she gets it but I don't think she fully understands it. And now hearing what you two have both just said, I wonder whether there's an extra component to that, which is for me, and I don't know, Melissa or Andrew, whether you, you've you seen this in clinic. and this, I've often found I can be incredibly defensive if I feel I've got to justify my why. Right? I get, and Catherine will, you know, I, I will get defensive. But when I get defensive, my capacity to explain things properly is you know it's non-existent I, I i am just in don't pick on me mode so at that point i'm never going to be able to explain why as much as i understand it in any way that that will help because actually it's not about Catherine at that point it's about don't pick on me Mm -hmm. Now, is that is that a common thing or am I just that weird that that's just me? Is that do you, do you find we can go into defensive mode? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very easily. Andrew, I bet you see that a lot. Well, it's it's a pattern for life, isn't it? If you've been continually criticized, then the, mm. the, you spend yeah. time looking for that criticism and then, and then you know, you, you aren't doing what a partner does. So in comes that criticism. So it, it, it happens in a context of a lifetime of, of questioning and criticism. Yeah. There is an interesting piece of research done. I don't know the exact year, but not too long ago uh, with kids in the U.S. Uh, where they uh, the researchers posit that children who have ADHD receive 20,000 incremental criticisms by the age of 12 Mm. think about that that's before you're a teenager and things mm. get worse and the people who are doing the critiques the people who are interacting with those kids at that ages are their parents their coaches their teachers their friends these are people who are supposed to be on their side mm. so completely understandable that people who have adhd uh, become very defensive, right? So things start to happen or they see a look or whatever, and their brain goes into, I anticipate a criticism is coming. I'm going to put up the defenses so that I don't have to uh, deal with it. They're highly defended um, around uh, anything that even smacks of criticism. And couples where you've got one person who's just trying to get the trash taken out, trying to go, you know, ask for that, um, and it, everything becomes a critique. It's not about, hey, can we share this? It's it, it, To your point, Matt, it becomes about, don't talk to me. Don't bug me. Mm -hmm. You're all over my case. And to your point, you don't like me. That's where that search came from. I think from. There's, a, there's a really important um, point there that, that could have got lost in what you just said, Melissa, and that was that it can just be a look. It doesn't have to be something actually said. It can be a look. Yeah, it's an anticipation of disappointment because other people, your life has been um, filled with that. Yeah, 
it's very harmful uh, and very difficult when you talk about trying to understand what it's like to be a person who has ADHD. That childhood and the thing that you take forward from that, a lot of people take forward deep wells of shame that they weren't, because many people, at least our ages, didn't know they had ADHD. There was no explanation for it other than, well, I must not be as good as the other people, or I must be stupid, or I must be lazy, or I must... Now, they start to, to drink the Kool-Aid, essentially, and uh, uh, and so they take forward sort of these esteem issues and, and deep wells of shame and, and these easy triggers when they think that it's possible that they're being critiqued. It's really really difficult to bring yourself if you have ADHD and you're an adult and you haven't really worked on this stuff to bring yourself in an open way to these conversations that you're trying to be in, which makes it harder in your relationship because that's part of what the mm. expectations are. About ADHD, oh, sorry, it just made me think, pre-knowing about ADHD no, with on, you, I can remember in talking about the critic and everything, the, the frustration the constant frustration. Why can't he just do this? Three children. Just, I was. It was. Right. It was very. Um, it was. Yeah, I can just remember the frustration frequently. The the anger, the frustration. The what? Is he doing this on purpose? You know, can can he not get? Right. get this together even to the point actually when we knew about adhd because we knew the children i think i was infinitely uh, sure um yeah infinitely more um patient if you will and understanding of the the, the boys struggles with autism than than i could be with with matthew because I, I i think i was always kind of like gosh you're an adult you know just get it together and yeah do well and there you're right because there's these uh, your assumption of your role as a mom is that you that you're you know nurturing and helping these kids mature and helping them through their struggles or stuff but you do not expect to help Matt through his struggles and and furthermore Matt has been conditioned uh, to uh, be defensive and uh, probably sometimes defiant because you're trying to direct him. Uh, and uh, and so your expectations for him as a partner, and then you have kids and everything is, there's a lot of sort of uh, stuff you have to do with kids. It's not that much fun. It does not fit into how ADHD mind uh, works particularly well. It, it isn't structured. It's not fun. Uh, and so, and it's, and it's kind of like, uh, uh, there's, you know, wonderful to have kids, but there's a burden to having young kids also. And so that makes the life more overwhelming for the person who has ADHD as well. And so it's a confluence and, and lack of sleep makes ADHD worse. And you have a newborn and you have definitely both got lack of sleep. And I mean, it's all this, it all comes together to be a really hard time for couples. Yeah. The question has just come to my mind here, and whether Andrew or Melissa have seen this. How often have you had people approach you and, and I suppose, think that the issue is one thing, and when you peel back the layers, you, you get to the underlying, okay, this is a lack of understanding, this is the ADHD at play. You know, I'm, I'm, what I'm particularly thinking is how many times you know, do people come in thinking, 
I don't know, this person's drinking too much, smoking too much, you know, going down the route even of addictions. And actually at the heart of that, underneath that is that person's just not coped for X amount of time. And this is the, if you like, the net result of it. Does that make sense? Andrew, you want to answer that? The difficulty there is they usually come to me thinking it is ADHD, so they've already covered that. They've covered yeah. that decision yeah, yeah. by the time they get to me. So I, it usually works the other way around for me that I say, and right. this is because, yeah. you know, the ADHD is at, at the root of this. Yeah, I, I would say there's a, a what, what we observe in the States is that there are an awful lot of people, particularly women with ADHD, by the way, where they don't have the hyperactivity focus as, as often, mm-hmm. uh, who are misdiagnosed originally yeah. with a substance use disorder, with anxiety, with depression. Those are the three that are the most common. Um, um, they're, they're really, they're there. It's not that, that they don't have those things. It's that the ADHD is also there and the, uh, diagnosis of anxiety, for example, covers up the fact that the ADHD is also there. So you're not treating the whole thing. And, uh, so it's a really good idea to, to get, you know, somebody who knows about ADHD, if you think there's any chance. Um, and, and get a full diagnosis so that you can look at it. Because, for example, if your coping strategy is, uh, let's say, uh, smoking marijuana or mm-hmm. drinking, because that calms your brain and you have a very active brain because you have ADHD um, or because you're trying to deal with the reward, the reward um, seeking that comes with having low levels of dopamine, um, once you start to address the ADHD, sometimes those desires, those drives for that particular coping strategy are lessened. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you're just dealing with the anxiety, you're not dealing with that underlying, re- underlying reward seeking behavior. So it's, it's important mm-hmm. to know about all of them. And very commonly it's, uh, that people are, um, ADHD is not seen. Yeah. Because of, because of the other stuff just presents so much more. Yeah. Because the professionals are are familiar with it. I think think that's more the issue that actually there are a lot of professionals out there. And I think before I entered into the world of of ADHD, as I've said before on the podcast, it wasn't on my radar at all. And I could look back in my career before ADHD was on my radar and see ADHD retrospectively. The benefit of hindsight is wonderful uh, and kick myself for for chopping and changing antidepressants over and over and over again and and wondering why it wasn't working. Well, now I know. Uh, but they, you, yeah. you know, they, I, 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 by the fortune of the opportunities that have come before me, do I understand ADHD? Um, I could still be working yeah. in general psychiatry and not understand. So it's 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 as right. it's as difficult as there are generalists out there that don't understand ADHD and continue to to try and treat the de- depression and wonder why it's not responding to to treatment. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I, and it's, it unlocks a lot of stuff to to know about it. Sorry, what, Matt. I what about when we don't know? So the question that just came to mind was okay. You know, once upon a time, Catherine and I didn't know before the boys were diagnosed with autism, right? We didn't know. People that are, you know, often said I was difficult, weird and whatever, but that's not a diagnosis of anything. That's just, you know, you're a bit odd. So (laughs) when people don't know, 
And when when couples don't know, you know, we, we, we're in the realms of couples trying to deal with their their issues in typical ways, right? The the typical strategies. Yeah. And so they struggle. Right. I mean, that what, what happens is the classic, what happens if you don't know about ADHD? This is why I wrote my books. It's why I got into what I got into. This is why I continue to do this education. And by the way, to Andrew's point, my probably final chapter in my career, I hope, will be uh, creating a professional education training program that is really, uh, really helps professionals learn more about this. But, uh, but you run into these patterns. And if you don't know, you do exactly what I said before, which is the symptom shows up with the, the classic symptomatic behaviors like the defensiveness or the distractibility or whatever. And the human response happens to that. And these couples get into these negatively reinforcing cycles and their relationship becomes harder and harder and harder. The divorce rate for people who have ADHD is no higher when they're younger than the general population. But by the time they've been together for some number of years and they have had, they've gone through this process of, as Catherine was saying, why can't we get this right? What is going right. on here? And they don't know what it is. The divorce rate goes mm -hmm. to almost double because wow. it, it, it seems intractable. <laughs> and and so it's a, it's not though. You just have to know what Sorry, it is. Yeah, Catherine. I can remember um, after reading your book and kind of like we knew it was ADHD um, with Matthew, um, and but prior to his diagnosis, I can remember my resentment was so intense and actually, you know, it's on me an awful lot of it. You, you've got kind of a, an awful lot of really lovely, good advice on how to um, uh, to manage the relationship. Um, and and I can remember being very, very resentful to the point I was kind of obstructive, like reading it going, oh, yes, yeah, so I've got to do this. Have I again? I'm doing this again yeah. um and it's only sort of i would say in in the last year that we've actually sort of like been actioning things in a both of us in a um, a grown-up way sort of like um in the kind of like managing um each other way um because the, i i did yeah, yeah I, I, I will you know own up to that and just quite happily say my resentment was so bad and actually you know it's all now we're implementing it. Now we are behaving both of us like grown ups. It is very useful and good advice. It helps, right? But you know, so so it's interesting because that response, the resentment response, and the why do I have to be the one who's changing when there's so many things that are obviously going on in my other part, you know, in my partner's uh, world. Um, is a, again, one of these human responses. And the answer is actually, if only one of you does the work, there's no way you will, you will thrive because you have to both do the work. And typically what the, what happens is the non ADHD partner says, well, if you would just fix the ADHD, everything would be fine. Right. Even after they find out about the ADHD and the ADHD partner says, well, you're so obviously resentful and angry. That can't be a true statement. So if you would just be kinder to me and nicer to me, everything would be fine. And in essence, both people are denying their own role, right? The person with the, the, the resentful, angry person is contributing a whole lot of negative energy uh, to this relationship, and they need to take responsibility for it. And the ADHD partner 
is contributing a whole bunch of symptomatic behaviors like not being able to follow up on doing things or being very defensive or being very emotionally volatile or whatever it is. And they got to take care of that too. You can't, one person cannot fix a two person relationship, but that's the power of, of thinking about it as a systems issue uh, for couples rather than as an individual person's, you know, fix the ADHD and everything will be fine. How often at the start of this process with couples have you experienced sort of a a feeling that um, the non-ADHD partner in this case is going, is this ADHD thing, ADHD thing now just an excuse? Do you think this is a get out of jail free card for all of the trapola? I mean, because I know as the person yeah. with there have been times where I've gone, is this the ADHD? Is it? Now I know there's other with me, but you know, I, I wonder in terms of that resentment piece, how long it takes couples to come to the, the conclusion that ah, actually, like you say, this is a systems thing. We have to change all our systems if we're going to. Yeah. Make well, progress. I mean, the way to change this, the way to change the systems is to take responsibility for your own stuff. So, so I can, I'm empathetic to the non ADHD partners who say, you know, I've heard your apologies for X a hundred million times before. So it's sounding like an excuse to me at this point. I'm also empathetic to the ADHD partner saying, look, I've been trying to take care of this inability to plan or my distractibility or whatever for my entire life. And I don't not, it feels overwhelming to try to do anything other than the coping strategies that I've already had. Mm -hmm. So the power of engaging with this for the ADHD person is to, uh, is to really understand um, how to optimize the management of the ADHD. So I work, when I work with couples, I have a three-legged approach that is based in like the two of the legs have been researched quite thoroughly. And the third one is sort of interactive strategies that couples can use. Um, But the, but the ADHD partner can do things differently in terms, you know, and it, uh, if they engage with the various things that are well known, but they have to decide they want to versus no, this is the way I am. Take me as I am. Love me like this. Mm. And this is all, this is the best I can do. And generally speaking, when people really engage with the ADHD versus just saying, Hey, whoa, hold on. This is who I've always been. Take, you know, yeah, I've always been volatile. It's okay. Um, and yeah, and it's not right. No. Or I really like smoking, so get off my case. Whatever yeah. the thing is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, by the way, my personal I I don't I don't care whether people smoke. Other than in a couple situation, uh, marijuana tends to make you um, sort of in your own universe. And when you're in a relationship where distraction already makes your partner lonely it can be a bad combination, right? If you're sort of off in your own universe and you're distracted and also off in your own universe, it leaves the other person sort of out in nowhere land. So, but anyway, that, so, so, uh, you know, it's, it's about, uh, I get why people have these responses because before they knew about ADHD, that those were the responses they had available. You know, I'm really sorry. I did that again. I don't really understand why I wanted to do better, but I somehow it got away from me. My schedule, you know, I lost track of time, whatever the thing is. 
you can see why the other person is going like, that just sounds like an excuse. Mm. You know, why can't you do better? Yeah. yeah try that's, harder. The ADHD. that's where the knowing about the ADHD really makes a difference. Okay. So let's, let's now then double down the difficulty, so to speak. How does it change when both partners have got ADHD? So now we've got two adults trying to function in a relationship who at different times struggle with their ADHD in probably quite different ways. And at this point I can bring both Andrew and Catherine into this because that's, that's both of us, right? Or all of us here from your professional experience. Does that make it harder or do you think dual ADHD couples find the work easier? Well, that depends on the couple. Right. Right. So for some couples, uh, I'm thinking of one in particular that I know where both of them are really messy. And so, and neither one of them cares. So it's like you walk into their apartment and it's like a tornado struck, but they can live in it. Right. Because they both, if you, whereas if you had somebody who cared about the messiness a whole lot, that would be really a, a, a source of friction. Right. So, so, but on the other hand, you have two sets of ADHD um, symptoms. And so each person still is responsible for taking care of whatever their symptoms are. What I say to um, couples is a own your own stuff and do stuff about it. Like, you know, fix the, not fix. That's the wrong word for it, but manage your, your own ADHD. Mm -hmm. Uh, Secondly, don't fall into the common patterns like the parent child dynamics, which sometimes are gender based where uh, a woman will be more on top of details and stuff, even though they're really, really hard for her because she has ADHD, because that's what's expected of her as a member of the family. I see Catherine raising her eyebrows, and I'm guessing that this is true in your relationship. But that's a huge burden for her because it is so hard for her as a person with ADHD to keep this stuff organized. It's a huge energy drain for her. No wonder she feels resentful about it. Yeah, yeah but I'm more ADHD than her, so that's my excuse right now. I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean that. Yeah, I wasn't and, serious. and then I also, I also recognize that it's useful if you both have ADHD to stop expecting yourselves to do stuff the way neurotypical families do mm. them. Like right. it's okay to be disorganized. It's wonderful to, to, to let some stuff go and really focus in on the relationships if you can. Uh, it's great to hire things out if you can afford to do so. So make sure you hire out stuff like housework and maybe home assistance of some sort or whatever if you can. Uh, you know, and, 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 and it would, and, and allow yourselves that permission. Like, okay, we don't have to be like the Jones. Mm -hmm. So I'm laughing now because all Catherine wanted for Christmas was a cleaner to hire the housework out. So now I've just, uh, that one's been sold. And the other reason I was laughing, Melissa, is because I can't remember what, I think it was the last relationships episode. We actually called it Love Sarah, Love Her Doom Piles, because Andrew and I had a conversation about exactly that, about, you know, this thing of, I have to manage. I I can't remember quite, Andrew, explain it for me again. It was your desire to even though you found it difficult right so our the the roles are reversed in our relationship and i'm I'm the obsessively tidy one i sort of contain the chaos of my adhd where sarah's chill Mm -hmm. about mess that's absolutely fine and my relationship with sarah is the first one where it's been okay for me to leave a mess i've always struggled to do that before 
meat in sorrow. It's always been a thing. Whereas now I, I, I'm freed of that because it was, it was horrendous and I'm free of that. It's okay if I can't do it to not do it. And, and, and that was new to me. Yeah. And if it starts to feel painful, then you, you know, get your list pulled together or whatever your way is of keeping yourself structured enough to clean up if you want to, because it's bothering yeah. you versus I have to do this or else I'm failing. Um, and that's one of the benefits of having two people with ADHD in a relationship is that you're more likely to get alignment on some of those key uh, very organized versus not so organized um, things. Anxiety is an issue. If you have somebody who feels really anxious, either because they have ADHD or uh -huh. because they don't have ADHD, but they're living with ADHD, that can be a driver of a lot of this. Have you done X yet? What, you know, uh, taking over of other people's um, stuff, their, their assignments and their tasks and stuff. You see, it's quite interesting because I know I didn't, send you the questions I thought I'd sent you, but you've literally almost verbatim just answered one of the questions about what happens when living with someone with ADHD causes the non-ADHD partner such anxiety that now we've got almost two people disabled in different ways. What do, what then? What do we work on first? So it it is actually an interest because I know, of course, Catherine anxiety despite her having ADHD. But it's an interesting question that what, in your professional opinion, what do you work on first? Is it okay? Understand the anxiety. Is it all to do with the ADHD, and then, or is it what can we do to understand and and, and cope with the ADHD and see if that reduces the anxiety? Well, I mean, you would do both. I don't think you have to give in to the tyranny of or here. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, the uh, but I, so what you're describing actually is uh, this classic, what I call parent-child dynamic, where you've got one person in this parenting managerial role because they feel anxious mm -hmm. and because they have better executive function skills than the other partner. And so they're capable of taking on stuff, even if it's hard, like in Catherine's uh, situation where she has ADHD herself. Um, it's not easy to do that, but it sounds like her skills are still more available than yours or have been traditionally. Um, and then you have somebody in the, uh, the under-functioning role, the more childlike role, that um, is struggling to, uh, to get their act together uh, from the standpoint of contributing uh, as an equal partner. Um, and that is a classic interaction, whether or not there's one with ADHD and one without or both with ADHD. Um, and it's really destructive. Um, and the way that you approach that particular issue is, A, you name it and you start to talk about it overtly. Like you got one person who's doing too much stuff. That's not a positive Right. It's it's getting into it. You're getting into somebody else's business, essentially. And you're building up, as Catherine was saying, resentment and hurt and pain and loneliness when you're on that side and overwhelm because you got too much stuff to do. Right. And then on the other side, you're building up resentment and pain because you feel like the person is always on your case. And you're, you know, and also feelings of, well, I am not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm ashamed of that. Or I, or I, I would like to be able to do better. Or as Andrew was saying, I feel like a failure because I'm not cleaning up as much as I should be. And my partner expects more and all that stuff. So both sides are building up this really negative energy. 
The way to go about that, if, as I said, you first you name it and you identify it so you're aware of it and you identify how negative that is in the relationship. And then you start working on um, improving the boundaries and on uh, between both partners and the executive function skill set in, in particular in the ADHD partner so that they can actually do more. They can be more reliable. The issue is unreliability for people who have ADHD. Sometimes they do stuff, sometimes they don't. And the other partner is constantly on alert because they're not sure. Like, is it going to get done or are the kids going to get left at daycare today? I don't have no idea. And right. what do we do if they, you know, when somebody yeah. calls me at six o'clock and I'm half an hour away. So uh, it's a, uh, um, so that, so it's this uh, multi-pronged, but very effective approach of, teaching people how to, to stay within their own boundaries, deal with the feelings, the anxieties and the other feelings that come up when the other partner may or may not yet have the skill set. There's sort of a transition into this and, and dealing with the ADHD partner on building up the skill set that allows for more reliable functioning uh, or as Catherine and you were both saying, you know, acting more like an adult in the relationship. So you lift both people up. Um, and each person has a role. Right. A question that's kind of on the back of an experience I think Catherine and I have had this year is you mentioned a while ago about sometimes an ADHD will say so frequently, I'm going to, I'm trying to, I will, you know, all of these words that eventually words become kind of valueless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's that, yeah, you've said that before and it didn't happen. So do you think from this sort of re rebuilding or repairing relationships point of view, there is almost a point where it's, okay, we, we have to witness the actions. We have to see the change in order to believe it. Yeah. I mean, so when somebody says I'm trying to, they're not lying. Mm -hmm. Right. It's true. They are trying to. Yeah. <laughs> they just don't have the skill set in place yet to be successful regularly enough to be considered reliable. And so the trick there, the reason you're talking about action is that the trick there is that the ADHD partner, instead of feeling helpless and like, I can't do this, uh, finds the the professional who can help them or the, uh, the coping mechanisms, which are positive, maybe they read them in a book or whatever and practices them and gets past not only the logistical stuff, like, do you have a good reminder in, in place? Do you have a way of, of calendaring and structuring your day? Uh, what are the things you're overcoming, but also getting past the emotional hurdles like, wow, this really feels bad. So I'm going to procrastinate and not do it right now because I have a reward focused brain and this feels bad. So that's what procrastination is about. Procrastination is about not wanting to engage with something because you anticipate it's not going to feel good. Right. So right. overcoming those kinds of things so that you are more effective. Um, and then action happens. So it, you gotta, it, it's, it's not that, it's not like action is comes out of nowhere magically. No. It's that the person with the ADHD says, okay, wait, I got to use these ADHD friendly approaches that work with my brain. I got to, you know, figure out both the executive function skills and the emotional things, hurdles I'm overcoming. 
and you apply those and you get the actions and that's the proof that you've done the work. Right. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So that, just, for for me, there's a two-step process here. There is there is having the intention, and then, then there is the outcome. And if if the non-ADHD focuses on just the outcome, they lose the sight of the fact that there was an intention in the first place, and that well, over time, if if you lose the intention because well, I'm not seeing the outcome, yeah. but actually, it's great yeah. that you want to do that what's 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 yeah. got in the way of that happening yeah exactly i hear from uh, um adhd partners regularly well you know i'll never be good enough for you therefore why should i yeah. bother to try because trying is hard when you have adhd um and if you don't have those skill sets and i totally get that on the other hand if you have that defeatist at uh attitude about it um the other side of that is okay if you don't try nothing's going to change so <laughs> It's one of these trick boxes, you know, where, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so, so part of my work and, and, and others who work with couples is showing them a path that looks different, um, that allows them to hope again that, yeah, in fact, things can be different. And one of the places that I often start, uh, I mean, I start with both partners. I don't start with the ADHD partner other than understanding how they're currently managing their ADHD. I start with both and typically around the parent-child dynamics because that's so injurious to the entire relationship. I mean, among other things, it erodes trust, right? One of right. the great foundational parts of a relationship. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, there's a question that's just popped into my head with it in terms of the how the ADHD partner is, is coping managing and, and the sort of split for Andrew and you, Melissa. Where do you think it gets difficult or more complicated or not in terms of if we've got ADHDers who are or who are not medicated? And what I'm specifically thinking of is I have several clients I mentor who are medicated, right? But their medication does what it does. It gets them through from sort of first thing in the morning to eh, mid-afternoon-ish, and then they crash. And constantly – all of the relationship friction happens when the meds have worn off and it gets worse and it gets worse. And it's, but you're supposed to be getting better now, not worse. It's, ah, but I'm better. Up. So what then? But this is exactly, you know, is that where you need a whole different strategy? This is exactly what we talked about with children coming home from school. You know, it's, 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 it's it, that right? transition time. It's, it's, it's having the time to, to adjust to the medication not working in, in, in the late afternoon. Um, so I don't think there's much difference in the response as, as you would with a child, that it's understanding that the off and that that's not, you know, that's not the fault of the partner or with ADHD or the one without that, that that's happening. That's something that is a biological thing that happens at that time if that's the way it's prescribed. Mm -hmm. But that, that then is for the ADHD to go back to their specialist and say, hey, this is happening in from work. Mm -hmm. and, and this just when I need to be there, I, I'm experiencing the crash. I'm, I'm experiencing all my symptoms again. Help me because this is impacting on my relationship. Mm, it's understanding exactly what yeah. the medication is yeah. doing to you so that your partner can understand. Yeah, there were times when, when Matthew was um, getting used to various medications and I was like, for goodness sake, really? 
<laughs> well, at least you were saying that instead of something worse. I mean, typically what, what I would say to people, yeah, is, uh, well, maybe she wasn't saying it that way. I don't know. But uh, uh, the, uh, is there's a, you can do, if you're on stimulant medications, typically you can do a short acting medication later in the day to take you later. You don't want to interfere with sleep, but you can usually get into the early evening at least and get through the very uh, busy dinner hour coming home and that yeah. transition. And I do hear people say, well, I only, you know, I need to focus more at work, but I want a vacation from my medications on the weekend. And I say, you are in charge of your body. You get to decide what you're doing, but understand that what you're communicating to your partner is that work is more important than your partner is. And that's a difficult thing to stomach if you are that partner. Mm. So, you know, yes, you should take meds vacations, particularly if you're on a stimulant at least once a year, but uh, might not be every weekend if you actually want to demonstrate to your partner that you are serious about this. Now, meds don't work for everybody, right? 20 to 30% of adults yeah. with ADHD don't find a med that it works for them. It does come into, though, because yeah. um, I did sort of like revisit um your book before obviously meeting you and and I can you know talking about the resentment back then and and how I kind of like looked at your steps and things and thought gosh you know all on me isn't it it's not fair um and then when I'd looked at them sort of like with the 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 fresh eyes that I've got um uh you've got um step three getting treatment for you both now that is something that both um Matt and I have only started really doing this year getting treatment and it's amazing just how much of um you know the advice in um, the ADHD effects anyway kind of falls into place when we both have that help and that ability to communicate and to put that resentment sort of to bed it, it that has been like I would say Matt would you agree like the foundation on us being able to communicate um yeah, and my boundaries, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. I've done it again, haven't I, Matt? I'm so sorry. Finish my sentence for me. Where am I going? <laughs> what? Okay, so what I hear in that, and we've discussed this a lot, is particularly around the boundaries. And I think this comes back to the, the conversation that I've, I never, up until last year, I was never very good at... Um, respecting Catherine's boundaries or even recognising that she had any. Right. So now now Catherine is more able and I think I'm more able to to hear them and, and respect them. So that's the boundary. Don't. Oh, sorry. I think that's where you go. But I just thought you do that. Is, so what this we go? is the age, the HRT, the everything, unfortunately. The, the, my question was kind of like with counselling and, and, and support. Uh, yeah. do, do you think most couples with like ADHD kind of like need that sort of um, counselling to help them take the steps to... Um, be able to to um, communicate effectively and work together. Well, I mean, so some need it, some don't. Unfortunately, there are so few counselors who do it, <laughs> who understand ADHD that it's hard to find somebody. One of the reasons that I started my couples seminar that I give um, through my website is for couples to get an in-depth look at all of the um, issues that face them and start to work through those things. So I have this, it's a nine week seminar given by Zoom. And so that's a really good first step for a lot of couples. It's also a lot cheaper than counseling. Um, but yeah, ideally, if you still continue to have issues, then working with somebody to help <clears throat> sort of be a mediator 
um, to help you see like, uh, wait, hold on. This is connected to ADHD. This is not connected to ADHD. Uh, what are the strategies if it is connected to ADHD? That's, you know, that can be very useful. Um, so I'm a big believer in, in, you know, getting that kind of help, but I do recognize it's really hard to find somebody to Andrew's point. Andrew looks back at all the people that he's helped and thinks, wow, I wish I had known about yeah. this before. Um, and it's sad, but that's the case. And, and it's not because he doesn't have good credentials. So on that, then the whole looking back retrospective for both of you, um, Andrew and Melissa, Given it, it would appear that there is more conversation about ADHD and there seems to be a better understanding of ADHD now than perhaps there was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, etc. Do you do you think you are seeing still the same issues, even though the there is better awareness or or are couples coming so I say more informed. So Andrew, if somebody comes to you for a diagnosis because they've been at, you know, I don't know if it's happened. Somebody said, I'm struggling. My partner thinks it's ADHD. I think it's ADHD. Do you think people are because they can doing more research to join those dots? I don't, I'm not seeing that. I, I'm not seeing that. No, no. I, I think we, we, we're getting there with it's, it's a lot more prevalent ADHD than people that are diagnosed in the UK with ADHD. So, so inevitably, you know, when I, when I got started working in adult ADHD, it was brand, brand new. There, there were very, very few services. Mm -hmm. We were getting the most obvious cases of ADHD. And I think we're, we're getting, we're pretty much through that now. I think probably the, the TikTok boom during the, the COVID pandemic sort of unlocked an, another layer of, of awareness. And there are more layers about people who aren't in relationships who are experiencing mm. symptoms of ADHD that aren't even aware that they're symptoms of ADHD yet. Yeah, I think there's a lot more people out there that that would fit in that bracket that that yeah we're, we're not reaching yet. Right. Yeah. I think the U.S. is a little ahead of the U.K. And the estimate right now in the U.S. is that about eighty percent of adults who have ADHD are unaware of the fact that they have it. And millions of people have it. So it's a huge percentage. And then there are another guesstimate, 15 to 20% who are subclinical. They don't have all of the uh, symptoms, but they have some of them. And that would they would benefit from, they wouldn't be able to use medication, but they would benefit from some of the executive function strategies and the interactive strategies that couples can use, like verbal cues and task meetings and things like that. Uh, so there are an awful lot of people who are still just learning about it. Wow. It's one of the reasons why doing a podcast is great because you have the ability to reach a lot of people who haven't been thinking about it before. Yeah. Well, I mean, absolutely. And that was the point of this podcast has always been not just talking about, I have ADHD, it's my ADHD, but conversations like this, which are, you know, this is a topic that comes up time and time and time and time and time again. And, and it's interesting. We have a WhatsApp community sort of linked to this where, where adults have come together and they, they talk on various topics. And what's interesting is the busiest group. Now the busiest sort of subgroup of the whole thing is what's known as the body doubling or the sort of task accountability where people check in and go, I need to get this done. I need to get this done. 
And if I track back the conversations, it was all people trying to say, I have to get this done so that I don't drive my partner mad. Right? Yeah. My partner's getting frustrated. I don't do this. Somebody else, because, and I think why it was, and Melissa, this is an interesting question for you on that. My interpretation watching the conversations is this body doubling works because it's not their partners holding them accountable. They're not being, they don't feel picked on. You, yeah, I need you to do that. They're going, I know I need to. But if I ask a quote unquote stranger on a WhatsApp group to check in with me and say, did you? It seems an easier pill to swallow. And then, and forgive me, this sounds almost childlike to say, it, it's easier to go, look, I did it. I did it. Be proud of me. I did, I did the thing all on my own. Right now, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But certainly that seems to be the case. Does that make yeah, sense absolutely. to you that that would be why? Well, so first of all, you've got all these really complicated interactions around um, anxious or otherwise more organized non-ADHD partners or other partners pushing. And so you're already defensive again. You defended against that kind of oversight. And it's not healthy for your partner to be overseeing you. It is healthy for you to be reaching out to somebody to say, hey, I'd like some accountability here. Can you help me out? And having, you know, because then you're in charge of it, right? right. The boundaries are, are aligned the right way. You're in charge of you, not your partner. And the fact that you've reached out to somebody, you're still in charge of you. That person isn't doing it for you. They're not taking um, charge of your deadlines. Um, they're just saying, hey, you know, I'm here and you're going to be held accountable. And that's useful. So, uh, so that really works very well versus your, a partner being accountable for your stuff. There's, there's that path that Catherine was talking about to resentment and yeah. they don't, they shouldn't be in charge of you. That's not the way partnerships work. No, no, not at all. It's yeah, I, I completely agree. It's just, it's an interesting thing. And do you think that then is something you can take or we, we can look to take forward into other areas of life, not just that, that task accountability, but maybe realizing, you know, whether it's support groups or communities or, or anything else, leaning on resources like that to say, I don't want to drive her mad by asking for help with this. And you get it. Yeah. yeah so, so anytime you are in charge of you and you are doing whatever it is, whether it's having an accountability buddy or whether it's having a good calendaring system or whether it's going to a support group or whatever it is, anytime you are in charge of you and you are doing and achieving the outcome that you want to achieve, that's good news, right? It doesn't make support groups or listening to podcasts or whatever are great. The more action oriented, the better, okay. right? So yeah. listening and learning does not is not a substitute. It is a path towards being able to do better. But the ultimate goal is to do as you choose to do, to be the person that you want to be in terms of following through and being a partner. And importantly, we haven't talked about this at all really yet, but um, connecting emotionally with your partner. When Catherine was talking about being lonely, what she's not talking about, whether tasks are getting done, She's talking about whether or not she feels emotionally connected to you. And that's a huge part of overcoming the impact of ADHD. So where does that fit in then? Let's, let's, let's dive into that a moment. Is, 
No, I'll let you answer. I'm not even going to hypothesize because I get it wrong. Why? Let's let's go in your experience. Where, why is there the emotional disconnect as well? Well, so there are a bunch of different factors, right? One of which is the um, the symptom of distraction, right? So when so, when somebody's distracted, they're unavailable because they're doing something else. So that's part of it. Um, another is the very complicated emotional uh, dance that goes on once one partner or both partners start to feel resentful. It's hard to sweep that aside. A, a resentment, unlike anger, anger is a short burn emotion. You get angry, you don't get, you're angry. Resentment is a long burn emotion, right? You start to feel resentment and it poisons everything for quite a long time. So it sits there in your relationship, um, not really resolving itself until you get at the base issues. So there are, there are not only the, the symptomatic, like the partner with the ADHD, if they're not managing the ADHD is typically not following through, that creates disappointment. You've got a lot of negative emotions going on, as well as some of the reliability and trust issues. And so pretty soon you're having trouble dealing with uh, things that are oh. going on. I, I, something's going on in the household. Uh, that, uh, it's all right. The dogs try to get out. <laughs> Carry on. That's okay. Um, so, um, so it becomes very complicated to have a vulnerable, intimate relationship. And so you become disconnected, sort of like roommates, if you're lucky, or like people who are really fighting if you're unlucky, right? Or if you are further into this. And, and so the, the, it's not only disconnection, it's connection of the wrong sorts. You're connected around anger yeah. or resentment. That's a kind of connection, but it's not a positive connection. Do you know, I can't tell you the amount of times Catherine and I said, you know, being together this long, it's like we've just become roommates. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. uh, too many times to, to count. And that's, that's scary hearing you recount that because yeah, that, that, that's exactly how it became. So I, I, I understand that. I understand that process leading to emotional disconnect. I guess the next question is that to me, thinking about it now, feels really big and, and, yeah. and a really long road to, what's the word, rekindle or recover. Because yeah. it's become the norm for so many people, right? Or, or it, it can become the norm. So how do well, you recall so that? Well, so one of the reasons that, and I promise I'm getting to answer your question here, but one of the reasons why some of the traditional marital therapies don't work for couples with ADHD is because the approach in that therapy is to try to connect the couple and then have the couple work together on what your issues are. And with ADHD, actually what you have to do is you have to work on the issues first. So you get some of this stuff out of the way, some of the symptomatic interactions out of the way so that the couple can get connected, right? So it's inversion from um, some of the typical marital uh, strategies that a professional would use with you. So the way to get past the we're just roommates or we're still having these negative emotions or we're not really partners stuff is to address, as we've been talking about, both sides of the equation. Each partner takes on their own stuff that they're contributing to the to their relationship, which is often pretty different, but yeah, still yeah. equally damaging. And then find things that um, that bring interest and excitement and romance. I mean, first of all, 
many couples, when you take away some of these sort of ongoing negatives, will sort of naturally start to be more affectionate towards each other, or at least have more positive feelings like, wow, at mm. least we're, you know, we're not at each other's throats anymore kind of thing. Um, but then there are ways to do, uh, uh, do stuff that connects you. Um, there's a guy at, um, at, I don't know if he's still there, he used to be at Stony Brook University called Arthur Aaron, who's done a lot of research into connection, romantic and intimate connection for people. And he talks about some of what his research suggests, which is doing new and interesting things together uh, as a way to connect. <clears throat> and and that fits right in with, you know, talk about an ADHD friendly strategy, right? <laughs> it fits right in with that. So uh, one of the strategies, it's a very simple one, um, but if you have, let's say, a, a more organized, less organized partner thing, take a Saturday afternoon for three hours, schedule every Saturday afternoon for that three hours so it's on your schedule so you don't have something else that's distracting you, then go someplace uh, to... Um, do something spontaneous in the three hours, right? So you might pull up you know, what's going on in Boston today, and it might be a farmer's market or a bike race or a, mm. a, you know, a new museum show or something. And so you have the time set so you know for sure you're going to get it, and then you do something new and interesting and different, and you, know, and you start to just, you're on equal footing. You can have fun together. You can remember why you like each other. Um, start to rebuild some of those bridges. And then I think there are other things also. I, I strongly recommend that couples do a one hour a week emotions check-in meeting, which allows them to bring things that are festering or, or positive either way um, to each other on a regular basis without like ships passing in the night. Oh, I had something I wanted to say or without feeling that in the heat of the moment, they have to say something. So how, does, so how does that work? Brie, can you briefly give an idea? What is that? Because I suppose what's in my head is that could so easily descend into an argument, right? It could, but so there are rules, right? So there okay. are rules for this meeting. Okay. The meeting is specifically to be heard. It's not to argue about something. It's so that each of you can hear each other. So you can you can have actually a structured conversation if you want to, which is just about listening to each other. I, I teach one of those, but they, uh, or you can have more free form if you want, but you go into it with a, with a sort of a, okay, we're going to be kind to each other. We're going to try to hear each other. It's might be hard. We're going to try to remain open. If we start to feel defensive or whatever, we're going to raise our hands and say, Hey, I'm starting to feel defensive here. Let's calm back down. Maybe there's a verbal cue for that something, but there's a structure to it, which is why it's important. Because right. otherwise, talking about your emotions could be a free-for-all. And it's typically only done when you're arguing, which is the worst possible time <laughs> yeah, to no. actually deal with this stuff, right? Yeah. So, so I think couples who want to reconnect emotionally, that's an important part. I think also another element to it is to, um, is to have a daily appreciation ritual of some sort. Um, and whether that's at night before you go to bed or even getting into bed at the same time, which a lot of couples where you have one person with ADHD and one without don't do, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, uh, but you have a daily appreciation ritual so that you are both oriented towards, even if you had a bad day, there are still positive things going on in, in your lives and with each other and that you like about each other. Um, 
And you can, and it's, and it's good to hear those things um, because right. it's easy to talk about the stuff that disappoints you. And we forget to talk about the stuff that we appreciate and love. Yeah. And so that's enough. So there are all these things that you sort of, you take these strategies and you get several of them in place. I mean, another great one is taking walks in the woods together. Yeah. Uh, it's mind clearing. You're not looking at each other. It's easier to talk about difficult things when you're walking, partially physiologically because uh, of how it impacts your brain, but also because it's less intense and a little safer and you're not home where all the distractions are and, you know, whatever it is. Um, so there are all these strategies and you can layer them in as is appropriate to the couple um, and get people going with it. And you will get reconnected, assuming that you, you know, that you wish to and that you're able to create um, a space in your brain that allows you to interact in this way. Yeah, makes sense. Out of interest, are you a fan of having multiple different techniques, approaches that you can dip into. Cause I think something that we've discussed on the podcast, at least I think before, and I discuss it all the time with mentoring clients is for me as an ADHD, if I want to achieve X, when I have one strategy because of the inattention, because of the, the, the fast rate to boredom at some point, my brain will get bored with doing that. And I'll just wake up and it won't work. So whenever I'm trying to achieve something now, I go, right, I need three strategies. Three strategies that will essentially achieve the same goal or, or at least close so that when one day I wake up and that doesn't work, I go, right, okay, let's yeah. try that instead. Does, does that make sense? Because I, I see it so commonly. We, we, right, this is, the, this is the, you know, we're going to do this. And then the ADHD brain just sort of wants to trip it up and go, oh, I've done that, I've bored it. we've done that for a week. <laughs> <laughs> so do you see what but, I mean? But, yeah, no, you need more than one strategy. I think also you need to be creative and be willing to be creative, right? right. Um, like when I work with couples, I give them homework. I don't have a rote set of homework things that I toss out. We'll be having a conversation. I'll be going like, yeah, you could work on that. Okay. And I'll make it up on the spot and All say, right. well, why don't you try this week? How, you know, this, this week, what do you think about that? You know, neither they like it or they don't. Um, but it, it, it's, it is, um, you have to be really creative, um, right. with this stuff because even three strategies over the course of a year might well get boring. Oh yeah. You. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, let's try this with an open mind. Um, ah, there's there the you go. That, 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 uh, that was why we disappeared. I just want to apologize. I, I figured as much. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, you know, you need, but, but the important thing is when I talk, so by the way, people who are interested in finding out more about how to manage ADHD, I have a free treatment ebook on my homepage that We're they gonna, can download uh, that talks about these three legs of treatment and what some of the different treatments are, as well as how to get evaluated and stuff yeah. like that. So that's a resource for people. We, um, will, we will put links to all of the, 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 yeah. the products and seminars and things on, on the show notes, wherever they go. Um, yeah. and we'll, we'll share them on the WhatsApp community as well. So yeah. I mean, please, it's, it's please about, read. It's so, so to your question, it's about accepting that ADHD is there, accepting that things are going to be done differently, accepting that this is going to be an ongoing creative process of experimentation. And if you're not failing some of the time in these experiments, you're not actually probably pushing yourself enough. You right. want to fail. It's a good thing to fail because you learn from it. If you take failure as an indication that you're no good, 
right? To mm-hmm. what Andrew was talking about before about how hard it was for him to fail at cleaning yeah. up. Um, then that's paralyzing. But if he says, wow, okay, this type of cleaning up doesn't work for me. But what about if I do bins? What about if I leave a note on my mirror that says, have you cleaned up the family room yet? Mm -hmm. So that when I've forgotten to do it and I get up to the bathroom at night to brush my teeth and I can look at that note and go, oops, okay, go downstairs, throw everything in the bin and then come back up. You Mm -hmm. know, it's a reminder in the right moment. There are all these little strategies. Some of them will work for you. Some of them won't. Some will work for a while. And then you can do something else and you can return to an old strategy when you're ready for it. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So I'm very conscious of time. Um, Andrew, having, having heard this and, and the, the amount of moments where I've looked at Catherine here, we smiled and gone, uh-huh, yep, if only. Right. And, and the fact that we're doing things now that align is, is frightening. So first of all, Andrew, let's, let's go for this as a clinician, as a, as an ADHD mm-hmm. nurse, what's your key takeaways from everything you've heard Melissa say so far in terms of this topic of relationships? I think there's, there's a, a few key themes. Listening is obviously really important um, and, and communicating and, and that, that collaborative approach um, I've taken away from Melissa is the responsibility for the individual to, to, to own their own shit basically yeah you've got to own your own um uh, and uh, and i i think a a strong relationship can support um and i think Mm -hmm. if if it's not working out then i don't know i don't don't know what I, i don't have those words of wisdom today matt i don't but, no. but it's, it's, that's all right, it's that communication I... <laughs> for me, for me, that's, it's the communication and it, it, it always yeah. is in relationships. It's that's where it's gone wrong, um, where I've not yeah. communicated or where I've not heard someone else trying to communicate with me. Yeah, I'll go with that. Right. Thank you for that. Catherine, what about you? Having, having sort of initially not been able to read the book and now been in the company of Melissa for an hour and a half. What do you take from it? Um, I had forgotten the romantic connection part, to be quite honest. <laughs> I think I'd focused an awful lot on the um, uh, the talking, the um, rebuilding, um, the, the resentment, the how it was, um, and that kind of thing that I had forgotten that... Um, it's, you, you've even got it as your step six in the books reigniting romance and having some fun and I had and I had forgotten that part and yeah. and actually I can see how that is coming now since since me and Matt have um started you know had had sort of counseling together and and everything falls into place doesn't it once you kind of like start understanding each other and talking and communicating effectively and um have empathy for each other and understanding of each other you can then start actually rebuilding the connection and the romance and um yeah 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 you can't undo the hurt that has happened previously so that becomes part of your history so it's never like when you were dating and you didn't have that hurt Mm -hmm. in your history 
On the other hand, one of the ways say, we were talking about building romantic connection, um, being compassionate towards both yourself and your partner. One of the things uh, that's important to understand is because of the, you know, the, the symptoms are there, the human responses to those symptoms are there. You both did the best you could do given the knowledge that you had. And really internalizing that as a message um, is important because that allows you to say, you know, there was this part of our relationship before we knew about the ADHD as an impact. And then there's what we do with it after. And if what you're doing with it after is is focused on not only, as, as Andrew said, taking care of your own shit, but also learning how to love your partner again, then you're on the right path. Um, if you stay in, um, you know, these things in the past where we were trying our best, but we were not doing all that well, you stay in that part of your relationship. It's going to be harder, harder to recover, not impossible, but harder because you can't change those decisions that you made. And you made the decisions that everybody else made, right? The people read my book and they go, wow, that's my life. Exactly. It's because these are the patterns. They're predictable. It's not something that you uniquely did. So, so that's an important part of it is, is, is learning to be forgiving and self-compassionate compassionate towards yourself and also um, towards your partner and, and really want to. And Andrew, I want to say one thing to what you had said before about communication. Transparency and communication is critically important to repairing these uh, relationships it's very easy for couples to fall into a hiding things because they're embarrassed or hiding things because they don't, you know, they're feeling resentful or whatever it is. Being able to have the safe spaces like the emotional, weekly emotional conversation that I was talking about so that you can be transparent and be yourself, right? You, the ideal is you can be who you are. You can understand who you are. You're going to have warts because we all do. Um, and, and having empathy for whatever the struggles are that each of you have, that's the basis of that really strong relationship and rebuilding trust. Yeah, I'll take that. Okay. Um, Melissa, I have one final question and this could be one of those questions. So if Andrew laughs, I know why. Yeah. <laughs> Having said everything already. you said, you've shared so much incredible information. The thing that just hit home for me was what you were saying about when people read your book and say, that's my life. So I hear frequently from what you say that there's so many times where we feel no one else can understand this. No one else can be going through this. Our relationship was, must be, has to be totally unique in all its issues. Evidently, that's not quite the case. So to put you on the spot somewhat, what would you say if anyone listening to this is feeling like they're struggling, is feeling like their relationship is suffering because of ADHD? What would you say are the first maybe three things you would say, right, if, if you were to say do anything, do these? Not, not to be a magic wand, but to make a start towards understanding or, or reparation? Well, so the first thing I would say is to understand it's not because of ADHD, it's because of ADHD and responses to ADHD. 
So making sure that you understand that it's not laying on one person's shoulders. Sure. Um, you know, I always tell people that the the most powerful weapon as they start this journey is becoming educated about it and starting to learn what it is. So my favorite uh, um, strategies for doing that um, are my own materials mostly because people so re- it resonates with people so much. So that would include my my first book, the ADHD effect on marriage, which also comes in audiobook for That's- people who don't like to read. There are lots of those folks out there. Um, and my couple seminar, I think those are two of the best ways to really get um, in depth information about this. See what these patterns are. Realize that you are not alone. Um, and then. Uh, and then there are other resources as well. So typically I'll send people to my website, um, which is at ADHDmarriage.com, which you said you'll have in your We will do it, yeah. Um, and, and so I think that's one. And the other is I would say give yourselves a chance. Don't assume that your partner that your partnership is doomed. Maybe it is, but but don't assume that. Assume that this information could really be relationship changing. I hear that all the time from couples. And um, and that there is a path out of it, but it is not a path that is a standard path that other that other couples not impacted by ADHD take. Okay. Um, and so um, so I tried to help people understand that there is hope for their relationship, even if they feel completely hopeless or mired in it, that this information really could turn things around or it might not. You don't know. It, it depends largely on on how involved both partners want to be on uh, taking care of their own shit, essentially. Yeah, I get that. That's, uh, I think, a fantastic way to round this off. Um, so, from my part of you, I am incredibly grateful for your time and for your knowledge. It's it's rare that both Andrew and I sit quietly and just listen and absorb. Um, <laughs> but there was a little more I could do. It's been astonishing to me, genuinely in the best way, to hear how many things you've said that I can look at Catherine in front of me and go, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I know there are going to be quite some interesting conversations tonight uh, based on this, which is why I'm so grateful that you joined us as well. Uh, but to, to everyone else, I've said it so many times when we've recorded, but I think today it really bears saying When Andrew and I decided to do this podcast, it wasn't the look how clever we are show. It wasn't the here's our opinion on ADHD show. It was the let's listen to what people are saying and try and give them the information that will help. Now, we have been asked since day one to talk about relationships. In the past 90 minutes, I have genuinely learned more about the interplay between ADHD and relationships that I think at at any other time. And I sincerely hope that that's what you will have got from that when you watch and you listen to this podcast. And again, this podcast is free now. It will always be free. Melissa has incredibly kindly given up her time and her expertise for free. So please, in the show notes will be her website and her seminar links and her books. And I urge you, however you choose to take them, buy them, purchase them, download them, whatever you need to do. Because if you have benefited and learned from this, my life, you will get so much more if you if you interact with her going forwards. And if that's what it takes to help 
your relationship, I can't think of a better person to point you towards. So please, please, please do that. Um, but folks, I'm just going to say this. I think we just nailed an episode on relationships with, with a no small amount of expert help, Melissa. So genuinely, thank you so, so much. Um, and I hope we get to speak to you again. But for now, everybody, that was episode seven of Talk ADHD. My life, it was a belter. We will see you next week for another episode. Thank you very, very much and uh, see you very soon.